mentioned about God's great love for us. And I've entitled the sermon this morning, A Father's Love. And I want us to talk a little bit about a father's love in consideration of what God has done for us. I think the most basic principle in the religious world in general, and certainly, specifically, in the Bible, within the Lord's church, the concept of the gospel, a foundational concept, is that God loves us so much that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John three sixteen, a very well-known verse of the Bible. Maybe the most well-known passage in the Bible. Now, while it is easy to love those who love us, it is infinitely more difficult to love those who are unlovable. It is infinitely more difficult to love the hateful. It is more difficult to love the mean. It is more difficult to love those who love no one but themselves. And that's exactly what God did. He loved a world who did not love Him. Paul declared this, Romans 5, 8, But God commendeth His love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now we need to think about that statement just a little bit. While we were yet sinners, and exactly what's he talking about? Oh, we have a history from the beginning of time all the way up to the point that, that Paul wrote that statement of faithful followers of God. But how did they stack up with the rest of the world? Oh, the vast minority, right? We were in the vast, or they were in the vast minority of those people in the world. So when he says that God loved us while we were yet sinners, in that he gave his only begotten Son. Part of that, would include those who murdered Him on the cross, those who mocked Him, those who disparaged Him, and those who mistreated Him. And it is that very love that we need to understand, a Father's love, that made it possible for us to even be able to hear or acknowledge the message of Jesus Christ. Sometimes it is at least hard for me to understand the great sacrifice that God made for all of us. I don't think that that is necessarily peculiar with me. I don't think that it is necessarily uncommon for us to not really be able to dissect what that great love was. But I want us to try to do that today. I want us to to think about and talk about that great sacrifice and what that meant to us and how That demonstrates God's love for us. I think we're so far removed from the actual event. We're so far removed from that period of time and the events that went on and the way that people interacted with each other and the way they treated each other and the way they mistreated each other. I think it is difficult for us to understand as we read through the biographies of Christ how He could have been treated the way in which He was treated. I think that is difficult. That doesn't mean we don't love God. That just simply means it is a difficult concept to grasp unless we really try to break it down. 
I also think that sometimes we get so caught up in our own lives and the things going on around us that we simply do not pay attention as we ought to pay and we become a little bit distracted. Again, that doesn't mean we don't love God, but it means we need to pay just a little closer attention. I think we want to begin this morning by thinking of this idea of God loving His only begotten Son in the same way and more so than we love our own children or that we love close family members to us, right? Not everyone has children, but everyone has close family members whom they love. And God loved His only begotten Son as much and even more so than we love our own family members. I want us to listen to the words that John wrote, John 1, beginning with verse 1. We're going to notice the first three verses, and then I'm going to skip down and read verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, And without Him was not anything made that was made. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Notice what the Word did for us. He created all things. Anything that was created was not created unless He created it. And the Word took upon Himself flesh, and He dwelt among men, and He lived among men, and He came for the sole purpose of saving men. God is in the salvation business. And He sent Christ, who dwelt among men. We can only imagine how difficult it must have been understanding all that God had done for people, even prior to Christ coming into the world, And what He did by sending Christ into the world, it must have been extremely difficult for Him to watch how He was mistreated and abused, beaten and murdered because of the great love He had for us. But that's where His great love does come in. I want us to consider for a few moments how that Father must have felt. And I want us to look at it either considering our own children or a close family member. I want to tell you a true story. On December the 7th in 1988, an earthquake devastated the northwestern section of Armenia, killing an estimated 25,000 people. In one small town just after the earthquake, a father rushed to his son's school only to find that the school had been flattened. There was no sign of life. But he had no thought of turning back, and he had often told his son this, No matter what, I'll always be there for you when you need me. Though his prospects appeared hopeless, the father began to try to dig down to his son. He began to move rubble, and he began to to pull out pieces of the building, and he he would yell out for his son and The people around him were mourning and crying and they were saying, Oh, my son, oh, my daughter. But no one tried to help him. In fact, people came and said, Look, it's no use. Stop what you're doing. Go home. There's no way anyone could have lived through that. He said, I'm not going to do it. He said, I made a promise to my son. 
If you ever need me, I will be there for you. And he kept digging and he kept digging. Finding strength, he continued to dig for 8 hours, for 12 hours, for 24 hours, for 36 hours. And then on the 38th hour, after having mustered that strength, as he heaved away a very heavy stone and a piece of rubble, he heard voices. He said, Armand! He screamed. And a child's voice responded, Dad, it's me, it's Armand! And then do you know what he said following that? He said, hey, I told the other kids not to worry. I told them that you promised you would always be there for me if I needed you, and that when you came to save me, he would save you as well. That's the love of a father for a child. You promised you would always be there for me. He said, and Dad, you did it. You did it. Moments later, the father was helping his son Armand and 13 other thirsty, starving, scared-to-death children out of the pile of that rubble because he made a promise and he kept it. No matter what, I'll be there for you. Now I want us to imagine how the Heavenly Father must have felt when the Son of Promise the Messiah was being mistreated and being murdered right before his very eyes. And then he heard the words, Crucify! Crucify! Let the blood be on our heads. Luke 23, 21. Do you know what Jesus' response to that was? Do you know what his response was to those people murdering him? He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, Hebrews 13, 5. You know why? He made a promise. And he followed through. He did what he said he would do. And now, maybe we begin to see the connection a little clearer when we read John three sixteen, And we see the great love that God had for us in allowing His Son to come. And the love that Christ had for us by allowing Himself to come and giving in to a rebellious, hateful, unloving world who murdered him. Now how should that affect me? What should my response be to a father's love? Shouldn't that gift of love elicit from me a response that says, I'll do whatever I need to do to please you and to be faithful to you, and to make sure I do what you ask me to do. A father's love like God's should make me, this is our first point, want to leave the sin of this world. Now he's given us the motivation to leave, hasn't he? He's given us the motivation to be obedient to him, but isn't it almost second nature to most of the people in the world to serve ourselves? to do the things that we want to do. What does the world tell us? Oh, you better look out for number one because nobody else will. You know, I don't agree with that. I don't agree that no one else is going to look out for us. We have a whole building full of people right now that looks out for each other. And boy, I'm thankful for that. I am thankful for that. We look out for each other. What does the world say? No one cares about you. Nobody loves you. We've got a whole bunch of people that love us and care about us. God tops the list, doesn't He? 
But we've got people in this life that love us. Yeah, they say look out for number one. But you know what the Holy Spirit said? 2 Corinthians 5 verse 15. He said, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. That's who we better be looking out for because he's looking out for us. That's my reaction. What's my response? Leave the world of sin behind. That's the motivation. He took my place. He died for me. See, we need to make it personal. We need to understand. We need to read what happened to him. We need to say, he did that for me. So what am I doing? Am I showing my appreciation? Am I living like I ought to live? Am I acting like I ought to act? Is my behavior what it ought to be? Is my dress proper? Is my speech the way it ought to be? Am I dwelling on things I ought to dwell on or am I not after what He did for me? I made mention a couple of weeks ago when we were over at the Miracle Field and, and we were watching John John play baseball and, and one of the, or his coach is a veteran and he, had, he lost both legs in Afghanistan. And when we look at that and we see someone who's suffered that way. I think all of our hearts go out to them, but do we look at that and say, he, that happened because of, for me. He was doing what He did for me. I don't think we do that enough. And I know we don't look at the Scripture and we say, Jesus did what He did because of me and for me. Someone had to pay a debt. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. Someone had to pay that debt And someone was going to pay that debt, but Christ chose to do it. Someone had to pay it. The writer of Hebrews explained, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that He, by the grace of God, should taste death for everyone. Now we need to understand that statement too, don't we? By the grace of God, He tasted death for everyone. Is that directed toward Jesus? Jesus was able to suffer and die by the grace of God for His personal gain. That's not at all what that verse means. Jesus suffered and died by the grace of God for my personal gain. I need to look at it that way. That's the motivation. and We've been given the motivation, but you know how good motivation is? If we don't take advantage of it, we can have all the motivation in the world unless we move toward doing something with it. It does us no good. When Jesus set forth the terms of discipleship, He didn't sneak up on anyone, did He? He told us the high price, the cost of discipleship. Matthew sixteen twenty four. He said, If any man will come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What's my response to a father's love? Deny myself. Now the world wants to take care of ourselves. It's almost an automatic reaction. If things start happening, we want to take care of ourselves. You know what? Unless, unless it involves someone we love, right? How many of you remember growing up I remember growing up back before the days of seatbelts. Be driving down the road, my dad'd be driving, I'd be sitting over there fooling around, and he'd hit the brake, and man, that arm would come across and just about cut you in two, wouldn't it? Why? Trying to keep you from being thrown through the windshield, right? 
we want to protect ourselves unless someone is involved that we love. How many of us would die for our children? Every single one of us would. Every single one of us. And be happy to do it. Now we're not trying to protect ourselves, are we? We try to protect ourselves unless it involves someone we love. And that's how we ought to look at God. His love for us ought to elicit a response from me. Paul described how he was moved and how he felt about leaving the world behind and all that he had uh, hopes of attaining. He could have been a very wealthy man. May have been a very wealthy man at the time of his uh, conversion. I don't know. I know he was, he was high up in the, on the list of people in the Jewish religion. Notice what he said in Philippians 3, beginning with verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. He gave it all up. He gave it all up to be a Christian. That was his response to a father's love. He denied the things in his life that contradicted what he knew God wanted him to do. That's the response of a father's love. He saw the motivation and he made the move to leave behind the world and the sin that is in it. But how do we do that? There's only one way to do it. And this is our second point. In response to the father's love, we have to learn what He wants us to do. We don't learn it by simply holding a Bible in our hands. How many homes would you, would you suggest in our nation have Bibles in them? I would say the vast majority of homes in our nation have Bibles. Now, the owner may not be able to locate the Bible. It may be packed away in a box somewhere, but I can guarantee you at some point, there either was a Bible in the home or there is a Bible in the home. But that doesn't get it, does it? That's not going to help us any. We have to be able to digest the information. Jesus gave His life so we could hear the gospel preached to us. That's the message of salvation. We all have to come to the understanding of God's message, of the message Jesus gave. Jesus said this, Matthew twenty-eight eighteen. He said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. What does that tell us? We look to Him. All power has been given to Him, not just in heaven, but on earth. He is in control. And we need to recognize that. And because of that, we need to make sure what we hear is what He says. We need to rely upon that. Paul said, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, Romans ten seventeen. I cannot learn what God wants by simply following after the traditions that my family established a hundred years ago. I look back over my, the history of my family, and I've mentioned to several of you, my father loved to track down your genealogy. And he'd track down you if he ran into you, because he'd already tracked down all of ours. Everybody we ever married. I told him, I said, nobody, I said, Dad, nobody wants to know that their wife or their husband is their fourth cousin. I said, stop doing what you're doing. But he had traced it back 
We'd marry. My brother or sister would get married. I got married. He'd trace that family. He'd get to looking into their family. I said, man, leave it alone. And if he met you on the street and you got to talk about it, he'd run your family. I said, nobody cares about that. Boy, he cared about it. But as I look back over the history of my family as, as I was trapped from time to time and his explaining it to me, you know what? There was a myriad of denominational beliefs attached to my family tree. So what do I want to do? Do I want to go back to my great, 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 great grandfather and say, okay, he was whatever he was, that's what I'm going to be. He's not the authority, right? Jesus said, I'm the authority. All power, all authority has been given unto me. I need to go to him. I need to find out what he says. And you know what's going to happen about 99% of the time? What he says is not what my great, 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 great grandfather said. So I have to make a decision, don't I? I have to decide, who am I going to listen to? Am I going to believe something that contradicts what Jesus said? Or am I going to listen to Jesus and just throw that other stuff away? You know what that doesn't mean? That doesn't mean I don't love my father, my grandfather, my mother, my great-grandmother, or or an uncle, or an aunt, or a sister, or brother. That doesn't mean I don't love them. It means I want to listen to Jesus, that I love Him. That's a response to a father's love, isn't it? That I want to do what He says. Paul told the church in Galatia, Galatians 1, beginning verse 6, he said, I marvel that you are so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. He said, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. We've had 2,000 years of perverting the gospel. If I preach something, and I can't show you in the Bible where Jesus said it or the apostles said it, Don't listen to me. I've made mistakes before. I'll make them again. I want to be corrected. Don't listen to anybody that tells you something and will not show you in the Bible where that is true. There are so many false teachings in the world. Have you ever heard the statement, we're all going to heaven, we're just taking different roads? Hey, let me tell you, That's one of the biggest lies that Satan has perpetrated upon this world probably ever. We're not all going to the same place if we're taking different roads. Not all roads lead to Rome. That's just not true. Talking with a dear friend of mine just the other day, and he's a member of of a denominational organization, and he was telling me that that if you ever obey the gospel, once you become a Christian, you don't have to worry about a thing. It doesn't matter what you do. You cannot lose your salvation. You can murder. You can fornicate. You can steal. You can rob. You can cheat and lie. And you can do. I said, really? You really believe that? He said, you cannot fall from grace. Once God saves you, you're saved. And there's not a thing in the world you can do about it. I said, that's not what Paul said. I said, I love you. And because I disagree with you on this doesn't mean I don't love you. But you're wrong and I want you to go to heaven. Paul told those in Galatia, 
If they left Christ and went back to the old law, Galatians 5 verse 4, he said, You are fallen from grace. Let's take Paul's word for it. Let's take the Holy Spirit's word for it. We have to guard against deception. And if we're going to do that, we have to be knowledgeable in the Scripture, don't we? Don't trust anyone. Don't trust me or anyone else. If if someone can't show you in the Bible, leave it alone. And don't trust them. But just like motivation without movement, hearing without heeding is not going to work. We can hear it all day long, but unless we do it, it's not going to help. What's the whole purpose of the gospel? For us to submit to God. That is the whole purpose. We can boil it down into a nutshell. The gospel is for us to submit to God, and that's the avenue by which we do it. Jesus asked those in His time, He said, And why call you me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? Luke six forty six. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't, you don't obey, you don't do the things, I, you're not heeding what you're hearing. Just as Christ was obedient to the death of the cross, Philippians 2, 8, we have to be obedient to the death of the cross. We have to be obedient to the Father. A father's love should cause us to submit to him. Tell me how many fathers that treated you good in this life, and, and I'm not talking about the extreme cases of abuse and things like that. I'm talking about fathers in this life, mothers in this life who, who brought their children up and reared them, and they showed that love. How many of us here had a response to that love that, would, that we would be disobedient to our earthly fathers? Not going to happen, is it? In the, in the beginning, it's because we fear them, a reverential fear. But in the end, it's because we love them. And that's what God wants. Submission to God is submission to His plan of salvation. And there is a plan. We already mentioned, Paul said, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, because Jesus is the authority. Peter preached to those, uh, Acts chapter 3, verse 19, he said, repent and be converted. You can't be converted unless you repent, right? We have to repent in order to be converted. We have to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is who He said He was. That's what the Ethiopian eunuch did, Acts 8, verse 37. He said, I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said that right before he went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and Philip baptized him. And when he came up out of that water, you know what he was? Well, according to Paul... Romans 6, verse 3 and 4, he was a new creature. It was, it, all things were new. It was different. He was cleansed. We sang a song that Jesus made us whiter than snow. Our sins were crimson, but He took them away. That's the plan. That's God's plan. That's not my plan. Wouldn't it be easier, perhaps, in, in, in the thinking of people that All we have to do is say, I believe Jesus is is God. That might be easier, but that's not the plan. So that's not what I want to do, and then I live faithfully for Him. A father's love should should motivate us to move away from sin. A father's love should, should cause us to learn about Him, to hear about Him, to heed about Him. And finally, this is our third point. We're going to end here. A father's love should make us want to live for Him. Commit ourselves. What does it mean to commit? Well, you're in in it for the long haul, right? You're in it for the long haul. We must 
make the commitment because there's so many people in the world who've obeyed the gospel and left Christ. You know who I think of when I think of that is a man by the name of Demas who for a time was very faithful and loyal to God and Paul. And then in describing him to Timothy, Paul said, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. We have to commit. We can't be a Demas. We need to be a Paul. You know, God and Paul, they didn't sneak up on Demas. Demas understood what the price was, but he just couldn't commit. I picked up a a couple not too awfully long ago, and I called Doc, and, and they were walking, and I took them up to the bus stop and bought them a ticket, and it didn't cost us very much. And I stopped over here at Taco Bell and got them some lunch, and we were on the way to the bus stop, and I found out they were just living together. Now, where I'm from, we call that shacking up. Now, I don't know what everyone else calls it. But living together like your husband and wife, yet you're not married, is a sin in the eyes of God. And so I was talking to this girl. She was sitting in the back. Her boyfriend was sitting by me. I said, why are you all not married? Well, he doesn't want to marry. Or, or, or this or that. And I said, well, you're not married because he doesn't want to marry you. That's why you're not married. He doesn't want to commit to you. He wants all the privileges of a wife without having a wife. I said, that's what he's doing. I said, is that not correct? Oh, no, that's not correct. I said, you're telling a lie. It is correct. If you wanted to marry this woman, you'd marry her. But you want to live with her. You want to take advantage of her. I told her, I said, you need to get away from this fella. As I dropped him off at the bus station. You know, that's the truth, isn't it? You have to commit. You have to commit. Jesus said, you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. You know what's a part of that commitment? Communication. Communicating what we've learned and what we've been taught to other people in the world. Helping to bring them into the body of Christ. You know what Andrew did after he found the Lord? He went and got his brother Peter. That's what he did, John 1, 41. When the great persecution against the church arose at the hand of Saul from Tarsus, what did they do? Went everywhere preaching the word. And instead of dividing and subtracting the church, it multiplied. It added. It grew. And Jesus left our marching orders for us. Remember that? Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Mark 16, 15 through 16. In this same letter that we began with this morning, 2 Corinthians, Paul said this, chapter 4, verse 13. Now listen to the words. We, having the same spirit of faith, According as it is written, I believed, and therefore I have spoken. We also believed, and therefore speak. It's part of our communication. That's part of our commitment as we live for God. Are we going to allow a Father's love to bring us to obedience and submission? I hope so. Because that's what it needs to do. That's what it's designed to do. That's its whole purpose. Father's love to bring us to submission. Now we're not talking about generational ideas and traditions and all the way back to when our forefathers first stepped foot into onto this uh, country. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about what Christ said, what God says, what He did for us in His demonstration of love and what our response ought to be. 
I think it is always important to be able to explain to others why we believe what we believe and back it up with evidence. If we just say, I feel like, that's the first red flag. If someone says, I believe this because this is what Paul said. This is what Jesus said. This is what God said through the prophet Amos or the prophet Moses or or whatever the case may be. I believe what I believe because it's found in the Bible. That, then, is something we can work with. If you've never obeyed the gospel, do that today. Respond to a father's love by being immersed in water after you've believed, repented, and confessed. Coming up out of that water to be a new creature, living in a new way, and living faithfully for God. If you've done that and somehow you've fallen away, you've become unfaithful, come back to Him. Make the response to a father's love by repenting of that sin, confessing it whether publicly or privately, depending on the sin, and and praying to God to forgive you. And if you need to do that publicly, we'll pray with you and for you, and God will forgive you. That is the response to a father's love as we stand and as we sing.